Chapter 5 The Germans and I no longer speak the same language. Marlena Dietrich, German actress, 1960 Since both Mama and Fritz worked through the afternoons, it was sometimes my job after school to stop by the market for food. Most things were gone by then, but Mama said that made choosing easier. This was true. Often by the time I got there, the choice was between red cabbage or white cabbage. As if I cared which one went into my basket. Today, I wandered the aisles, hoping something more exciting would be available. I could afford it if there was. The government kept the prices of everything we might need very low. It's just that the shelves were always more empty than full, and what was on them looked or tasted as gray as everything else. The good food was called benders, because if you had something worth trading, the clerk would bend down under the counter to get it for you. But Mama didn't want us bargaining for food. Just take what is offered on the shelves and come home quickly, she always said. More than anything, I longed for a banana. We used to have them years ago, and for my 12th birthday last fall, Fritz had bought one for me off the black market. I still remembered its taste. Finally, I got some chicken, a few potatoes, and of course cabbage. I also picked up a few cans of cola, proudly made in East German factories. Fritz thought it left a bitter aftertaste, and said one day he'd smuggle in some real Western cola for us. After that, he said, you'll never want our cola again. If that's true, then don't get it, I had responded. It'll be one less thing that I can buy. Once in line, I stared at the people ahead of me, watching them watch nothing at all because it was safer that way. Mama described us as practical, durable people, which I think she meant as a compliment, though I never took it that way. Our strength came from the collective. Every school teacher I'd ever had said that until it played in my head like a skipping record. Individuality was a weakness, a sickness of the West. So we all walked in step, eyes ahead, and with conversations at a minimum. We all smiled, but not much, and frowned, but rarely cried. Nobody could succeed here, but most people around me seemed to be okay with that. It meant they wouldn't fail either. I didn't want to be like them, and at the same time I was beginning to forget how to be different, how to be my own self. It was the feeling of being swallowed up, and I hated it. That was all I thought about as I hurried home with my groceries. We lived on the fourth floor of a drab apartment building that looked more or less like all the other apartment buildings. That wasn't an accident. Beautiful things were signs of individuality. Wherever possible, Mama had tried to provide some beauty inside the apartment. But still, our furnishings were spare and simple. With little to look at inside... I went to my room and stared down to the small garden space below. I had buried the peel from Fritz's banana there, hoping it would sprout into a tree this spring. I knew it was impossible, but I still looked every day. And when the tree wasn't there, I always turned my attention to the wall. If I got the angle just right, I could see into West Berlin. There's nothing but greed and selfishness on the other side. My school teacher often told us, If you try to look, it shows nothing but greed and selfishness in your own heart. Well, I was greedy and selfish then because I could never help but to look. 
I couldn't see much, but it somehow seemed brighter across the wall, as if the sun gave more of its light to the west. Maybe the people there were more selfish, I thought, because we needed that sunlight far more than they did. Then some movement at the wall caught my attention, and when I saw what it was, I laughed. A rabbit had become trapped in the death strip. They often did, but it was always amusing to see the Grenzers come running to try chasing it away. They didn't like the prints the rabbits left behind in their perfectly smooth dirt. Over the past four years, what started as a simple barbed wire fence had evolved into an entire system designed to stop, capture, or kill anyone who tried to get through. In most places in East Germany, even before reaching the wall, there was an open border area that nobody would dare get close to unless they had a death wish. People who encountered the Grenzers there on patrol often disappeared, sometimes for days, sometimes forever. Behind it was the backland wall, which I passed each day. It was a simple concrete wall that surrounded West Berlin, making that free half of the city an island within communist East Germany. What I knew of the area behind the backland wall came only from the glimpses I saw from my window, or occasionally from Anna's bedroom if she didn't catch me looking, and from what Fritz told me he had seen while out on bricklaying jobs. Beyond the backland wall was another barbed wire fence that might have been electrified, which I figured was bad enough, but Fritz thought it was something else. He believed touching that wire sent a signal to the guards in the watchtowers. If it was true, that would be worse. Past that was what we called the Death Strip. The government hadn't given it that name, but they didn't discourage its use either. Soldiers and fierce dogs often patrolled it, Barriers and deep trenches were set up to stop any vehicles that tried to crash through, and the dirt was left smooth so on the rare chance that someone did get that far, it would be easy to follow him. Soldiers were ordered to shoot on sight and shoot to kill. They never hid that fact. And they had done it before. Western television broadcast the pictures of border guards carrying dead bodies out of the death strip or pulling them from the water. I'd seen it myself, at least when we could catch the television signal here. Our government would then respond with ridiculous excuses such as heart failure or a swimming day gone bad. Well, heart failure didn't cause bleeding wounds ripped through a person's gut, and nobody ever swam the Spray River for fun. They had tried to escape and had failed. Reminders of our own fate should we try it too. There were some successes, no doubt though we didn't hear about them as often. Those who escaped usually kept quiet about it. They didn't want their loved ones left behind in the East to be punished. Eventually, the rabbit hopped away, or perhaps someone I couldn't see chased it off. I never could figure out how the rabbits got inside in the first place. Since they couldn't pass through the solid concrete, they would have had to dig a tunnel underneath. Even the animals wanted to leave East Berlin, I supposed. I would have kept watching for the rabbit, but Mama called me in to supper. I came in and plunked down beside Fritz, but right away it was clear his mind was somewhere else. He picked at the food until Mama finally set down her spoon and said, You're quiet tonight. What's wrong? He shrugged. Just a hard day, that's all. No, that wasn't all. 
I knew it, even if she didn't. Since the wall had gone up, Fritz never told Mama anything that made her more worried or sad than she already was. So if he went as far as admitting it had been a hard day, that meant something awful had happened. Or would soon. Fritz met my eyes and offered a grim smile, but he looked away when Mama turned to me and asked, What about your day, Gerda? You had a pioneer meeting? Yes. I reached for another slice of bread. They had an announcement. A few days ago, the first person ever to do a spacewalk was outside the spacecraft for over 12 minutes. He's Russian. They want us to be proud of that, though I don't see how it has anything to do with Germany. They want us to be proud because it means the East beat the West, nothing more. Fritz's tone was more biting than usual. Something was definitely bothering him. I decided to leave it alone. After all, sometimes I didn't want to talk either. Where's the butter? he asked. I shrugged. Food shortages? Butter never lasted long on the shelves. Trying to distract us both, Mama asked, Did anything else happen today, Gerda? Immediately I thought of having seen Dominic. Ever since that moment, I had debated whether to tell them. Would Mama be happy that I had seen him? or sad because she had not. I didn't know the answer to those questions, but I was certain of one thing. If either Mama or Fritz had been the one to see Dominic, I would want them to tell me. I hesitated a moment. Then, in only a whisper, I said, I saw Dom this morning. The room became as still as the grave, and I almost wondered if Mama thought that's where I said he was. Shouldn't she be asking how he looked? whether Papa was with him and how I had felt in that moment. But with a stiff voice, she only asked, Where? On my way to school, on one of the platforms in the West? I think he was waiting for me. He knew I would be there. Mama frowned and the lines in her face deepened. We've talked about this before. You shouldn't be looking over the wall. If the Grenzers caught you... One had... I still got a pit in my stomach when I thought about Mueller's rifle against my cheek, but I certainly couldn't tell her that. Instead, I faced her scolding with my own anger. We wouldn't have to worry about the Grenzers if you'd let us leave with Papa that night. It wasn't the first time we'd had this fight. We all want to be together again. Mama's voice was tired. But it's not possible. You know that. Yes, I did. Some days, all I thought about was ways to get my father back here, or how we might get over to him and Dominic, but never once could I come up with an answer. The wall was larger, stronger, and far more deadly than anyone my age could challenge. I hated that wall, and resented my mother every time she tried to make me accept it. Did you hear me? I almost shouted now, but that was better than tears. I saw Dom today, your son. Fritz tried to calm me. Gerda, you don't. But it was too late. I slammed my fork back on the table and ran to my room. My father would have understood why I waved at Dominic, but Mama didn't. Sometimes I thought she was just like everyone else here, blind to the fact that there was an entire world out there beyond the wall. Maybe Mama no longer cared about Papa and Dominic, or had forgotten them entirely. I never would.
Chapter 6 The wall will be standing in 50 and even in 100 years if the reasons for it are not removed. Eric Honecker, First Secretary of East Germany, 1971-1989 It was a Beatles night. Fritz lay on his bed staring at the ceiling while I sat cross-legged on the floor with a book I had given up on reading. In the background, John Lennon harmonized with Paul McCartney as they sang philosophies of love in a language I barely understood. If it weren't for the Beatles, I wouldn't have known any English at all. For me, it's the lyrics. Fritz had taken an English course in school and spoke it much better than I did. The things they write could never be played here. Of course not, I said with a smile. It'd corrupt us. Personally, I preferred the tunes, although mostly I liked the Beatles simply because we weren't supposed to like them, or for that matter, even know about them. But all the kids did, Fritz's friends especially. The boys smuggled in albums we weren't supposed to have, and pictures of shiny Ford Mustangs we'd never own. And the girls got fashion magazines and colorful beaded necklaces to hide under their mattresses. Even though she never stopped Fritz and wouldn't turn anyone in, Mama disapproved. She wanted us to buy the censored albums instead, but that missed the whole point of rock and roll. Nobody wanted approved music. I wondered if maybe Mama wasn't angry that I had seen Dominic. Maybe it made her sad, because nothing she could do would bring him home again. I never should have told her about Dom at supper, and never should have yelled. Fritz must have been thinking about that, too. Mama loves them as much as you do, Goethe. She misses them so much it hurts her to talk about them. You can't be angry with her that father is gone. He was right, of course. I didn't want to be angry. But sometimes it was the only emotion I understood. But I missed my father singing to me at bedtime and the earthy smell of his coat before he left for work each morning. Sometimes... He snuck a kiss from my mother when he thought no one was looking, and it always made me giggle. I even missed Dominic, the way he used to tease me and hide my dolls and jump out from behind corners to scare me. Those were good memories now. Our family was like a house of cards in a stiff wind, and when it became too much to feel the pain of our collapse, all I could do was become angry. We need to get to the West to be with them, I said. There's got to be a way through that wall. Of course there is, but the only way to know for sure is to try, and there's a high price for being wrong. Are you so certain there's a way through that you'd risk dying for it? I wanted to say yes, more than anything. I wanted to be the kind of person who dared to say yes. Papa would take the risk, maybe Fritz too, but I wasn't sure about myself. If I knew we'd make it, then yeah. I'd try to cross. Then I added, But that's all the bravery inside me. That's not how bravery works, Fritz said. Courage isn't knowing you can do something. It's only being willing to try. His voice trailed to silence, and the record player spat out static in the gap before the next song began. The needle on the player was going dull. It would be a long time before Fritz leapt into finding another one. Shortages. Always shortages. Once the music began again, Fritz rolled over to face me and rested his chin on his hands. 
I gotta tell you something, he said. I wasn't going to, but if you really believe there's a way through the wall, you ought to hear this. I leaned forward, certain this was the secret he had kept from Mama at supper time. Do you know Peter Warner, Anna's older brother? Sure. I didn't know him well because he was so much older. He was away at the university, but I saw him occasionally on weekends. As the first in his family to attend a university, Peter made their parents very proud, and they talked about him all the time. Peter is going to the West tonight. Nobody knows about it but me. I sat up straight. Not even his family? They'll be furious. He hopes they'll understand and maybe even be happy for him. I paused, letting that sink in. Then I asked, how is he getting out? Some students in the West got a pass to come to East Berlin for a museum tour. They're going to smuggle him out in their car. It was specially designed just for that reason. I shook my head. It sounds dangerous. It is. But where we live, walking can be dangerous. Talking is dangerous. For you and me, being the children of Aldous Lowe is dangerous. That's why he never sends letters. Just because of who our father is, they probably watch you from the moment you step out of this apartment until you get inside again. If the chance came for me to leave the same way Peter is leaving, I'd take it. I felt a pinch in my chest. It was one thing to think about Anna's brother leaving, but I couldn't imagine if Fritz left too. Would he just disappear like Peter? I was about to ask when a knock came to our door. Fritz looked over at me and with a stern voice said, Don't say a word about this. Don't make Mother responsible for knowing. When I agreed, he got up and opened the door. Mama pushed past him and turned the volume down on the record player. They'll hear you on the streets. Not with the windows closed, Fritz said irritably. Besides, the police have better things to do than confiscate teenage music. And how do you know that? Only because they haven't come here yet to do it, that's all. Fritz nodded and then switched off the player. Neither of us was enjoying it now anyway. Off to bed, Goethe, Mama told me. You too, Fritz. I got up off the floor and gave Fritz a long look before leaving. Mama stopped me in the doorway and put her hands on my shoulders. I'm sorry I became upset before, she said. I was only worried that you might have been caught by one of the border guards. Can you understand that? Yes, that I understood. I am glad you saw Dominic, she said. I wish I could have seen him too. He looked good, I said. He's as tall as Fritz now, and he looked healthy. Did he seem happy? She asked. I didn't know how to answer that. He must have ached about the divide in our family, just as all of us here did. But he was also free, and I wasn't sure he would give that up, even to be back with us again. So I only shrugged the question away, which seemed enough for her. She kissed my forehead and then said, now, good night and sleep well. I wished her a good night, too, but I knew there was no chance of sleeping well. Sometime in the next few hours, the brother of my best friend would vanish into the West. I whispered a prayer that God would see him there safely, 
and then carry his family through the storm that was sure to follow his disappearance. Chapter 7 There are no dangerous thoughts. Thinking itself is dangerous. Hannah Arendt, German political theorist. Anna said nothing about her brother on the walk to school the next morning. I didn't think she would. He lived at the university and it would probably be a while before anyone in her family knew he'd left. I wondered if Peter had left behind a note of explanation or if he would send word to them once he was free. I wondered how they'd feel afterward, proud of his courage or ashamed that he'd abandoned them. And I wanted to know if Peter would ever look back with regret for what he had done. Would I if it were me who left? I glanced at Anna's cheerful expression and felt a rash of guilt for knowing what she did not. It's just as cold today, she said. Hopefully it will begin to feel like spring soon. The weather was trivial. So were the books in her hands and her annoyance with the boy who pulled her hair when the teacher wasn't looking. Anna wasn't even thinking about her brother today. And all I could think about was whether he was still alive. Are you feeling okay, Gerda? Anna often preferred to interpret my moodiness as illness. It was the way she tried to understand me. Springtime, sure. Was that even what she'd asked? My mind was at Checkpoint Charlie, where Peter would have crossed into the West. Fritz said the car had been specially designed to hide him, but the border guards always searched carefully, and they had dogs and maybe other detection devices as well. I tried to picture Peter sitting in a coffee shop with the other students right now, laughing at how easy it had all been. But I couldn't laugh. Not yet. What if you had the chance to go west? I suddenly asked Anna. Would you? Anna stopped and glanced around to see if anyone was nearby. When she was sure we were alone, she started walking again, then said, Don't ask questions like that. Don't even think questions like that. It was wise advice, though I never could stop my thoughts from coming. They just did, all the time. Maybe I wasn't trying hard enough to stop them. I knew I wasn't. As we approached the same area where I had seen Dominic yesterday, I looked around for any border police. At least for now, the street was empty. Then I turned toward the platform on the west, but nobody was there. Still, I shuffled my feet and walked slower, just in case... Anna seemed to know what I was doing and grabbed my arm. Please don't, Gerda. He won't come back after seeing you get in trouble yesterday. Maybe not, but I still had to hope. Help me keep an eye out for guards and we won't get in trouble, I said. Anna huffed, but she began looking around. We couldn't walk as slowly as I wanted. Other students were on our heels trying to get to school before this cold rain turned to snow. I kept my head down, except for the occasional peak to my right. There was nothing, and then nothing again. And then just before we passed by, Dominic's blonde head rose into sight. I stopped, but didn't wave. Anna gasped and told me not to look. I ignored that and replied, He's my brother. I bet Officer Mueller has family on the other side, too. You can't split a city in half and not divide everyone in some way. Dom didn't wave this time. Instead, he motioned at someone below him to come up. I barely breathed as I anticipated who it must be.
My father. His head rose higher with every step up the platform ladder. He wore glasses now, and his light brown hair seemed thinner. It seemed odd to finally see him, looking much as I remembered him, yet it had been so long I felt I scarcely knew him anymore. He waved only once and wiped a tear from his eyes with the back of his hand. I think I needed to see that, to know he missed me as desperately as I missed him. But then he did something I didn't expect. He danced. Not the formal dances the adults knew, but the silly dance he used to do for me all those years ago, the one from The Farmer in March. He started by pantomiming the farmer's wife, telling the maids to get back to work. His movements were from the song's second verse. We had sung this so many times together when I was younger that the lyrics and actions were etched into my brain. It still ran through my head sometimes at night when he wasn't there to tuck me in. They have a lot to do in the home and the garden, the song went. They dig and they rake and they sing a song. My mouth formed the words even as he performed, and the cheery tune rang in my mind. With that second line, my father pretended to hold a shovel and dig, but when he should have moved to the rake, he only continued the digging motions, looking up at me very deliberately, and then made a silly bow, just as he had when we used to do the song together years earlier. I smiled and acted out an applause, just as I used to do. Then he motioned that I should leave and keep on walking. I nodded obediently, faced forward again, and then Anna and I walked away. You could have gotten us arrested just now, she scolded me. And for what? A silly dance? Papa was playful like that. It used to be my favorite song. But Anna shook her head. He wouldn't have you take that risk just to show you a dance. No, he wouldn't. It took me the whole school day to think about it. While the others dutifully studied geometry, Russian vocabulary, and whatever else we learned that day, I considered Anna's suggestion that perhaps there had been a message in his words. Why had Papa chosen to pantomime from the middle of the song? If he had wanted me to think about this time of year, March, then the beginning of the song would have made more sense. And if he had danced just to bring up the fun memories, the final verse was the silliest to perform, so why choose the middle? I figured it out during reading time that afternoon, 45 minutes in which I could not recall a single word I'd read. It came down to the mistake Papa had made in his performance. Where he should have changed from a shovel to a rake, he only kept digging. And that was the end of his dance. He was digging. Papa wanted me to dig. But why? Chapter 8 Fear was the most powerful weapon possessed by the Stasi. David Cook, British author. Years ago, Mama and some other women in our building used to garden in a small patch of dirt behind our apartment. They enjoyed the work, and the food from the garden was very good. But one year, the food shortages had been particularly fierce, and the harvest disappeared into the hands of those who walked by it each day. Mama never gardened again, said it wasn't worth the bother. I found the shovel after school, right where she had left it. 
It was tucked in a forgotten corner of the basement along with the things other families in our building had no room for upstairs. There were many boxes and crates and dusty surplus tins left over from the war that probably weren't even edible anymore. Nobody ever went down here, though. The corners always stayed dark, and every time I came, it felt like the roof and dirt floor were closer to each other than the time before. Although my instinct was to leave the basement as soon as possible, I forced myself to stay and stare at the shovel, as if another hard look would somehow help me understand what Papa wanted me to do. Perhaps he wanted me to encourage Mama to start gardening again, or for me to plant one myself. No, I didn't think so. He had pantomimed the lyrics for digging, not for planting. Digging. Maybe before he left, he had buried some sort of treasure nearby. Papa must be worried about our family, and of course he would want to take care of us. Well, he didn't need to worry. Fritz's after-school bricklaying job helped us with money. Sure, we didn't have a television, but Anna did if there was anything I really wanted to watch. Most of our entertainment came from Fritz's record player, which was good enough most of the time. And we had no Travent like other families, but it was okay to walk where we needed to go. And besides, they were ugly cars anyway. Still, if Papa had some sort of treasure buried in the area, I wanted to find it. I hoped to see him again at the viewing platform soon so I could try to figure out where to dig. Fritz didn't get home that night by supper, which was unusual, but sometimes his bricklaying required extra time at work, and so Mama and I didn't think much of going ahead without him. He would probably get back before supper was finished. This is better anyway. Mama's shoulders seemed heavier than usual, and just seeing them made mine feel heavy too. I had some very sad news at work today and wanted to share it with you in private. I set down my fork and looked over at her. I couldn't imagine what must have happened, and already a pit was forming in my stomach. Your friend Anna has an older brother, doesn't she? A boy named Peter? If she had not spoken another word, I would have already known how Mama's story was going to end. I wanted to press my hands over my ears, pretending if I couldn't hear it, then it didn't happen. But life never works that way. And all I could do was close my eyes and pray that I was wrong. Anna's parents got a visit from the Stasi this afternoon. Peter attempted an escape last night, hidden in a special panel of a car from the West. He was discovered before reaching the border and tried to make a run to the West, but they shot him in the back. In all the confusion, the students driving the car were able to escape, but Peter didn't make it. Mama grabbed my hand and gave it a squeeze. Anna probably got the news when she came home from school. The family has been allowed a day home tomorrow to mourn his loss, but this will be a terrible time for them. I thought you should know. It's a reminder to us all of what happens to those who try to escape. They die. Tears rolled from my cheeks, but I didn't care if Mama saw. I couldn't begin to imagine the pain that Anna and her family must be feeling right now. She loved her brother just as much as I loved both of mine. Losing one of them would feel like my whole world was coming to an end. Fritz would feel awful too. He'd feel guilty for knowing Peter's plans and not stopping him. Wait, 
Fritz had known. And he still wasn't home. Why isn't Fritz back from work? I tried not to sound as worried as I was. After all, he had been late before. But not often. And Fritz had said nobody knew Peter's secret but him. What if Fritz had tried to escape too? Although she had only the smallest understanding of why my face was suddenly flushed and hands were shaking, Mama said she knew I was upset and asked if I needed some time alone. I left the table and practically ran into Fritz's room. I had half expected to see a note on his pillow too, some words of apology and explanation for his own escape attempt. There was nothing, so maybe it was just my imagination. But every minute that passed sharpened my worries. Fritz was never this late. I reappeared in the kitchen where my mother was finishing cleaning up, except for a plate she had left out for Fritz. Can we go to his job site and look for him? I asked. Please, Mama, can we go and him? Mama pressed her eyebrows together. Goethe, I know the news about Anna's brother upset you, but... Fritz and Peter were friends, I said. Fritz knew about the escape. Without another word, Mama set down her dish rag and hurried to get a coat. Minutes later, we were outside, pressing through the busy city streets, deeper into East Berlin, where Fritz had been hired to help lay brick for a new building. So much of Berlin had been destroyed in the war, and even now, 20 years later, piles of rubble were still strewn about the city. The government was rebuilding as quickly as they could, but it took a lot of resources to maintain the wall. Their second priority was rebuilding public places, or areas near the border that were meant to show the world how superior our system was. It was behind the glossy scenes that everything remained in ruins. Every day after school, Fritz had been working on one of those high-profile buildings, and they were in a hurry because of some visitors coming from Moscow. A few men were still on the job site when Mama and I got there, but Fritz was clearly not one of them. She told me to stay back while she talked to the job foreman. I hated being left behind, but a man in his position wouldn't want me in the conversation. So I waited where I could see their faces as my stomach twisted into knots. In response to Mama's question, the foreman shook his head and his mouth was turned in a distinct frown. He checked his watch and then spoke to her some more. Even from here, I could tell that nothing he had to say was good. Where was Fritz? I wanted to scream. Why were they just standing there talking? Finally, Mama's back stiffened and she clutched at a handkerchief in her fist. But she only nodded, looking as if she wanted to scream too. The foreman reached out a hand as if he might try to comfort her. But Mama stepped back, said a few more words, and then turned. Without speaking, she grabbed my hand and yanked me into a walk so fast that to keep up with her, I almost had to jog along. Where is he? I asked. Mama, where? Hush. Wait until we get home. The walk to the job site had taken less than a half hour, and though we were moving much faster now, it seemed like hours before we finally entered the safety of the apartment building. I asked again what the foreman had said, but by then it took all Mama's effort just to hold her emotions together. She didn't say a word until we were inside our own apartment and her trembling fingers had locked the door behind us. Then she collapsed onto the ground and sobs poured out of her. The Stasi came to get him today, 
she said through choked breaths. They believe he was involved in Peter's escape attempt. They took him away. What will they do to him? I once overheard Papa telling my mother that he wasn't afraid of anything except our secret police. He said that if he were ever arrested, no matter what they did to him, his life would be over. I didn't know a lot about what happened to people after the Stasi got them. The only people who knew for sure were either the agents or people subjected to their interrogations or tortures. They rarely talked about what had happened to them, if they ever returned. Even the locations of Stasi prisons were secret, so I knew Mama couldn't answer any of my questions. But Fritz was her son. Even if it was only based on instinct, she had to have some answers, some way to make this better. Except I had learned long ago that there were some things even a mother couldn't fix. She couldn't bring Papa and Dom back, or bring us to them. She couldn't keep me from missing them every single day, and nobody I knew could bring down that wall. All my mother said was, They told Fritz it was only for questioning, but the foreman doesn't know if that's true. Then she turned to me. Are you sure Fritz knew about Peter's escape? He told me last night. And you waited this long to say anything? By the time Fritz told me, Peter had already left. I'm sorry, Mama. She closed her eyes, and the tears ran beneath her lashes like the steady leak of a pipe. I put my arms around her, hoping to comfort her a little. Go to bed, Goethe. I didn't want to. It wasn't my bedtime yet, and I wanted more than anything to stay awake until Fritz came home. If he came home. I'm going to Herr Krauss's apartment next door, Mama said. He will know if there's anything we can do. We didn't see Herr Kraus as often as we used to, not since Papa left. Mama had brought him dinners after his wife died last year, but she also felt it was dangerous for the Stasi to believe that we were anything more than casual neighbors. If she wanted to see him now, then I knew how frightened she was for Fritz. Let me come too, I said. You've done enough, Mama snapped. Then her eyes softened. I didn't mean that. Please, go to bed. I kissed her cheek, though I'm sure she didn't feel it, and apologized again, though I wasn't exactly sure what I'd done wrong. On the way to my bedroom, I passed Fritz's room. The door was closed tight, which I found odd because it hadn't been when we left. Maybe he'd come home while we were out. I turned the handle and darted in, fully expecting to see Fritz lying on his bed with his Beatles album turned low. I saw that record first, smashed on his floor like someone had crushed it beneath his boot. Fritz had a poster of Anne Margaret on his wall, supposedly a popular actress in America, but that had been ripped down and nothing but the tacked-in corners remained. The rest of his room was in disarray, with drawers pulled out and books thrown onto his bed, but nothing else seemed to be damaged. The Stasi had been here. They had stood right where I now did, and maybe gone through our entire apartment, too. Although it should have shocked me more, somehow this, too, seemed normal. I told you to go to bed, Mama called from the front room. I almost asked her to come and see what had happened, but a voice inside me warned it would be too much for her tonight. I planned to get up extra early in the morning and clean it for her. 
then, when Fritz came home (and I had to believe he would), everything would be O.K. again. Whether that was true or not, I chose to believe. I made myself believe it, or the worry would drive me insane. Chapter 9 The penalties for being an accessory to the attempt to flee the GDR were greater than the crime of trying to flee itself. Anna Funder, Australian author. A cold rain was falling early the next morning, making it hard to leave my bed. It didn't help that I had barely slept, and whatever sleep I got was filled with nightmares about Fritz. When I finally did drag myself into the front room, I was surprised to see him seated closely beside Mama on the couch. He looked exhausted and had a dark bruise on his cheek where someone must have hit him. From what I'd heard about the Stasi's brutal methods of questioning, he was lucky if that's all they had done. Mama and Fritz were sitting in silence, and at first neither said anything to me when I walked in. I called his name and ran toward him, but he put a finger to his lips to quiet me and shook his head in warning. Oh good, you're awake, Goethe. Mother spoke deliberately and her words were far too cheerful to fit the situation. We should have a nice breakfast to celebrate Fritz coming home. Celebrate his coming home? The Stasi had arrested him and obviously questioned him by force. Maybe we were grateful, but to call this a celebration sounded like a word they would want us to use. To hear it from my mother's mouth felt strained and unnatural. It's a cold morning. Fritz wasn't quite as cheery as Mama had sounded, but his tone also didn't match his bruise or the heavy bags under his eyes. Maybe I'll build us a fire while you cook. Help me with it, Gerda. Anna's apartment was newer than ours and had central heating, which was considered a great luxury. I envied her every winter when we had to collect wood to burn for our heat, which never reached all the way into my small bedroom. But except for the rain, I didn't think this morning was particularly cold. We wouldn't normally use up valuable wood to warm an apartment we'd all be leaving for the day, which meant something more was going on. Fritz stacked a few sticks of wood in our fireplace and grabbed a handful of papers to use as kindling. He picked up the first paper and I saw his handwriting on it, which said, Be careful what you say. The apartment is bugged. Bugged? A thousand questions instantly leapt into my mind. Where were the microphones? How long had they been here? Who was listening to them? He knew I'd read it because my eyes were wide with fear. Then he crumpled up the paper and stuffed it into the middle of the wood stack. The next paper had already been written out for Mama. It said, The Stasi knew about a private conversation between me and Gerda the other night. They listened to every word we say in here. My mouth went dry. I remembered listening to the Beatles, and I was sure we had complained about the GDR because we usually did at night. That same conversation in Fritz's bedroom was where I had told Mala the details about seeing Dominic. She had come in unexpectedly cutting off our conversation about Peter. Fritz said Peter had told no one else about his escape, and Fritz had told nobody about it but me. We were the reason they had caught him, the reason he was killed. T 
tears filled my eyes and I shook my head, horrified at what all of this meant. But Fritz had a paper for that too. He rummaged through a few in his stack until he found one that said, We didn't know, but we do now and will be more careful. We must sound happy. We'd gone too long without speaking and Fritz called out, Gerda and I will have this fire going soon. Then I'll shower and we can get to school. Maybe since Anna won't be at school today, I can walk Gerda there. That's a good idea, Mama said. Although we'll both be at work after school, Gerda. I expect you to come straight home today. Yes, Mama. I croaked the words out and it felt as though I were speaking them directly into a microphone, which I supposed I was. Everything around me felt forced, and I didn't see how Mama and Fritz were just carrying on like normal. No, it wasn't normal. We never talked like this. Mama didn't make celebratory meals, and we wouldn't have celebrated his release from the Stasi anyway. And Fritz never walked me to school, whether Anna was with me or not. But there we were an hour later, with Fritz walking beside me within throwing distance of the wall. I used to think this was the last place we could talk freely, but now it seemed like the only place. Beneath a shared umbrella, our conversation was as private as it possibly could be. Still, we kept our voices low. I heard about Peter's death yesterday while at school, Fritz said. A friend told me the Stasi was interviewing his parents and that they might be arrested too. For what crime? I asked. Peter tried to escape, not them. The Stasi view escape on the same level as treason, so they'll embarrass and shame Peter's family now. They'll have to work extra hard to prove their loyalty to the state. An older couple was passing by us, so Fritz and I fell silent. When we were alone again, Fritz said, When I heard about Peter's death, I knew the only thing I could do was keep my head down and hope nobody remembered that we were friends. I got through the end of school, but Stasi officers were waiting for me the minute I arrived at work. They said it was only for a few questions, but I knew otherwise. What did they do to you? Fritz lowered his head. Clearly he didn't want to answer that question, not even for me. By then we were passing the platform where I had seen Dominic and Papa yesterday, but they weren't there this time. I had been so sure they would come. After all, if Papa was trying to send me a message, then why wouldn't he be here? Especially today, of all days. Maybe it was for the best. Even from the distance between us, Papa might have been able to see the dark bruise under Fritz's eye. It would worry him. There's something more I have to tell you, Fritz said. And Mother doesn't know about this part, so don't say a word to her about it. I won't. It wasn't the first secret we kept from her. They showed me a huge file they're still keeping on Father. Before he left... The Stasi documented everything about him, where he went after work, who his friends were, even what newspapers he brought back from the West when he visited there. They never found anything serious he had done, but were sure it was just a matter of time before they had a reason to arrest him. This wasn't a surprise. Papa had told me the same thing himself, and we'd had the visits from Stasi agents to our apartment. Papa knew he was being tracked because of his part in the uprising and because he continued to speak to others who wanted more uprisings in the future. But he never committed any crimes or incited anyone to violence. Papa wasn't a violent man. 
just a thoughtful one. Fritz continued. Then they showed me another file, one with my name on it. I stopped walking to stare at him. Why? What have you done? Nothing. Or at least I didn't think I had. But they know Papa is in the West now, and so they're watching to see if he contacts me or if his friends do. Maybe one day I'll happen to bump into someone who used to know him. If anyone even asks about Father, someone is bound to hear it, and then that report will go into my file. Well, if you haven't done anything wrong, then they can make your file as big as they want. If you obey all the rules, everything will be fine, right? I looked over, hoping to see him agree with me. Isn't that right, Fritz? But he shook his head and lowered his voice to almost a whisper. They told me what the file means. I've been branded a potential enemy of the state. It doesn't matter to them if I've done anything wrong. They just figure I will one day. With that file, I won't be allowed to go to a university or to get a good job. By the end of June, I'll be old enough for the military. And before they put a gun in my hand, that file means I'll get special training until they're sure I believe the way they do. Once I wear their uniform, I'll get the most dangerous assignments, the ones few people survive. That file means I have no chance in life, none. They've already determined that I will fail. All because of Papa? I asked. None of that's your fault. I'm not blaming him, Fritz said. I smuggled in that Beatles record and that banana on your birthday and other stuff you don't know about. Nothing bad, but nothing I'd want to get caught with either. They must have heard me complain about the government every night on their microphones, and I've never made it any secret that I don't want to join the military. My file might have started because of Father, but I'm the one who's been filling it. Well, I won't let you fail, I said stubbornly. If you can't get a job, then you'll live with me. If they brainwash you, then I'll talk you out of it when you come home. Whatever they do to you, Mama and I will be there to help. Fritz rubbed the top of my head with his hand. Usually I hated that, but not this time. It was his way of showing affection, and I wanted that comfort from him now. Then he sighed and said, You don't understand how bad it is, Gerda. They have a file on you, too. Chapter 10 A thought, even a possibility, can shatter and transform us. Friedrich Nietzsche, German philosopher. To my surprise, Anna was at school that day, but her eyes were red and she made a point of keeping herself apart from everyone. I tried to talk with her at lunch, but she asked me to go away. When I looked back, she was crying again. Inside, I felt just as awful, but for more reasons than I could count. It broke my heart to look at Anna and know how she must be collapsing inside. The other kids whispered about her until I threatened them. Even if it cost me a detention to protect her, I would follow through on my threats if necessary. Besides, what did I care? The Stasi already had a file on me. What did it matter if disorderly conduct in school was added to the list of my supposed crimes? Other than the threats to Anna's gossipers, I spent every free minute of that day reviewing details of my life that might somehow qualify for a file. What had I done? Every time we walked home, my eyes did inevitably wander to the wall in the West. 
The Grenzer had used his rifle to warn me of the consequences for that, but was it a crime to see what the rest of East Berlin so effectively ignored? I was a member of the Pioneers, but not an enthusiastic one. I wore the uniform when it was required, but mine was never as crisp or smooth as the other kids, nor did I want it to be. That was it, then. Wrinkled clothes. My secret rebellion. Then at night, when we listened to Beatles music, Fritz spoke of his frustrations with our lives, and I always joined in. Often it was just jokes about the daily inconveniences of living in such a closed-off world, and the way the government paraded its few successes around like fine art hung in a crumbling room. Sometimes we weren't joking, though. Sometimes we genuinely resented the life we were forced into. I could admit that. But was it a crime to feel that way? Everyone complained now and then. Surely I had done nothing all that wrong. In fact, the only crime I could be sure of having committed was having been born the daughter of Aldous Lowe. If Papa had once created trouble for the government, then apparently that was enough to convict me as well. For my file proved there had been a trial of my loyalty to the GDR, and at 12 years old, I was already found guilty. After school, Anna left so quickly that I wondered if she had somehow snuck out early. So I gathered my books and coat and flew out the door behind her. I caught up to her as she hurried along the sidewalk, marching home as if the devil were at her back, with her head down and shoulders slumped over. Even from here, I felt the pain she was experiencing, as real as if I could touch it. Seeing her ache made me hurt, too. I couldn't help but think of what I'd be going through if Fritz had not returned home last night, either. I'm so sorry, Anna, I said. It must. Don't you dare apologize. She swerved on me with a rage I'd never before seen in her. Her eyes blazed and her mouth was curled in an ugly snarl. Your family knew what Peter was going to do. Why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you tell me? I stepped back, caught off guard by her words. We, I, he'd already left when I found out, I stammered. And he didn't want you to know because he didn't want you to be in trouble afterward. Well, we are, and you could have at least warned us, she said. My, my parents told us to stay away from you and your family. They knew how you are. But Peter and I always insisted you were good people, that you didn't cause problems like your father did. We were wrong. You're just as bad as he was. Don't speak about my father, I snapped. If Peter tried to leave, that was his doing and no one else's. My father had nothing to do with that, and neither did anyone else in my family. She stiffened as if I had slapped her. They told us people would lie about their involvement to save themselves. Peter broke the law when he left, Gerda, just as your father did when he left. You ought to be ashamed of him, just as I have to be ashamed of Peter now. My father loves Germany, and he hates what's happened to us. I'm not ashamed to feel the same way. Why are you listening to the Stasi? I have to. Tears filled her eyes. They could take my parents away for this, Gerda. Throw them in prison or worse. What would happen to me then? I wanted to hug her and take the pain away. But I only stood there, feeling useless yet again. No, 
The state hadn't taken my father, but they were certainly the reason he couldn't come home. At least I still had my mother. No matter what, I would always help you, I said. The state can't take our friendship away. Yes, they can. Anna bit on her lip a moment before she continued. To stay out of prison, we must prove our loyalty, and your family is... Well, your father, anyway. Gerda, we can't be friends anymore. And she ran off down the street, on a road that led the long way to her home. That's how eager she was to get away from me. I felt like a disease. Just as my father had infected me, I could now infect others. But with what? Courage to speak out? To act? To think and question and believe what I wanted to believe? Somehow I lived in a world where these were bad things. A little way farther down the road, I happened to look up to the platform in the west. And although he had not been there that morning, my father was there now. He stood up straight as if he had been waiting for a while, knowing I would eventually pass by. When he saw he had my attention, he started into his dance again and then went back to the motions of shoveling. I turned away from him down another street, on a road that was the long way to my home, too. Away from the disease. 